What's up, everybody? We are back for episode 12 of the Effin' Growth Podcast. We are here to talk all about sales. Hold up. Let's set this up. Yeah. Get a little music going. We're going to talk all about the sales process, the questions you need to ask, what it takes to get the most money from uh, your web design projects, how to take your sales process to the next level, and really set and manage those expectations with your clients. But, you know, before we get too far into this, let's up and grow. Okay, what's up, Joe? Hello, Rymar. We got the I'm intro, for by this the way. Episode. If you're watching, everything was flawless. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no mistakes. <laughs> That's right. Running show. Great. Today's going to be Very the day. Good. It's going to be a perfect production. <laughs> so uh, you were talking just a second ago how this is like the most requested topic. So like talk about how we came to this and you know, people ask us all the time or people ask you all the time. They ask it in the forum all the time. They ask it in the Facebook group all the time. They always want to know how do you price your projects, projects effectively? You know, how do you manage that expectation? So you want to talk a little bit about what we can expect in the conversation today? Absolutely. People are so curious about this topic because there is no right answer. There's no right and wrong. There are only strategies. So we're going to talk about all the things that we've done in the past. This is from experience. In the past, we've talked about GDPR and security, and we had a disclaimer that we were not experts I'm happy to say that we are experts in this topic. This is stuff that we do every single day. So we're going through and giving you all the questions you need to ask, all of the topics you need to consider. And hopefully by the end of this, you will feel more confident in budgeting and quoting for projects in Webflow. Yeah. And we got a packed house today. We've got uh, some of the crowd the some of the OGs in the in the house here. Let's see. Hi, Ezekiel. Hello, Mark. Grace Walker's in the house. Nick Jones, Christian Schmidt, Peter is here again. Peter Blanchford. I um I told him at the beginning if we get to a hundred concurrent viewers, we are uh, we're gonna build a, a Webflow merch store, Joe. So I've committed us to that. If we get to a hundred concurrent Ooh. users, we're gonna build a small <laughs> little <laughs> merch store. So um don't go sharing this video by any stretch. Whatever you do out there, just please don't share this video. Just kidding. Share the video. It's an expensive um, video. <laughs> yeah, Kyle in the house, Grace, uh, Mosh. Okay, so let's get to it. Everybody here is interested to know how do we set pricing. So, Joe, let's talk about kind of setting a baseline. How do you get to a place where you're like, um, you know, this is this is what we do, right? Like people kind of expect a certain level of pricing from you. So how do you, how do you set that baseline? Where does that come from? Let's talk a little bit about getting from tier to tier. And we talked a little bit about this in previous episodes. So we're going to be kind of recapping here, but you know, if somebody's building a thousand dollar website, how do they get to a $2,000 website? If they're building a $3,000 website, how do they get to a 6,000, a 10,000, you know, how, do, how are they getting to these baselines and where do you kind of establish your, your starting point? If you're just new to this. It's very important to understand that this is about establishing your baseline. We're going to be talking about numbers throughout this entire episode. You'll hear people in the community talk about all different types of prices in Webflow. You'll hear your clients and your leads talk about how they found other pricing from other people. That doesn't matter. This is about establishing your baseline, what you want to charge, and you should figure out what you want to charge. There's no right answer. So how do you get there? 
it really depends on what type of work you've done in the past. As you do more work, as you have a bigger portfolio, a bigger agency, a bigger history, you have more control in making this number. When you first start out, you do not have the control to make this number. You have to start low. You have to start really where anybody is going to give you the project for that price. But as you start doing more and more, you can start establishing your baseline and then raising that number as more people come to you. As more people come to you, you have a higher demand. That means you can charge more money. And if you have way too much work and you can't, you, you can't take all the work that's coming in, that's your first sign to say, maybe I'm not charging enough. You know, Maybe 50% of the clients that I'm working with right now are willing to pay more money. So if you're at max capacity, that's your first sign of raising that baseline. And throughout your career, you need to raise that baseline and raise that baseline. So that's, that's a really good place to start, figuring out where you need to be. And then as you become busy, as you need to, to expand, that's when you need to start raising that price. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to maybe just start out with is this idea that we're not all starting from the same place, right? You may be the first time you're picking up Webflow or any web design tool and you're starting to just get to clients. And so, like Joe said, you may not be able to ask that super high ticket value as somebody who's been working with the tools with five or six years. Does that mean you can't get there? Not, a, not at all, but you kind of got to go through your steps. And so many people, you start hearing somebody say like, oh, they closed a $50,000 deal or a $20,000 deal or you know, a hundred thousand dollar deal, whatever it is. And you could get discouraged because you're like, oh, maybe I'm only charging a couple thousand dollars for a website. Um, but that's okay. You know, like everyone again has to start. They've got a place where they feel comfortable doing the work. Right. And so a lot of this has to do with what are your needs? What are you like? What does it take for you to live? Right. If you're living in San Francisco, it's different than you're living in the middle of Iowa, you know? And so, but maybe you could still charge the same money living in Iowa and put a lot more money in your pocket. So again, this baseline and kind of how you want to do, there's so much variability in when it comes to pricing and the quality of work and the type of functionality. And so we're going to try to go through all of that, starting with kind of how do you start asking these questions? Because what we're going to finish the show with um, exceeding expectations is something we harp on all the time. And we always talk about tying things back to value. And so you're going to hear us talk a lot about setting up this opportunity and setting up everything you do with asking the right questions. And then throughout the entire process, bringing the value back to the answers to those questions, because this is the real way that you reinforce the value to your clients in this regard. So uh, let's jump right into it. And actually, um, before we do that, if in the comments, you guys uh, who are watching here, guys and gals, um, can you talk to us a little bit about what questions you like to ask, right? Feel free to share or maybe questions that you have a hard time asking, right? Things that you're not sure about. So as we jump into some questions that we think you should ask every time, uh, you know, we'll, we'll jump into the Q and a after we go through some of this. So, um, Joe, do you want to take lead on these I, questions, key questions? You're really good at this stuff. So I do. And for, and before we jump into the questions, I want to, I want to say again, something you just mentioned about being happy. That is very important here. <clears throat> so you may see someone charging 50,000 or 100,000 or 5,000, and that's way higher than you would charge. It's about you being happy. It's not about putting yourself next to other people or other teams. What makes you happy? Yeah. The first site that I ever made was $750. I was living in New York. It was 
much less than a minimum wage worker would make based on the hours. But I was damn happy making that site. And that's all that matters. So make sure you're happy. That is, it's a requirement for any yeah. of this type of work. Well, now let's get into those key questions. And this goes also to when you take a project that you don't charge enough money for, you start getting drained with the project, right? So like if you start getting into these bigger, more complex projects and you don't learn how to up the amount of money that you're charging, by the end of these projects, you will be so drained and deflated that you just won't want to work on them. And that will reflect in your work. And so learning how to price projects and how to grow the value of what you sell is so important for a number of reasons. Um, and, and I think that happiness factor and your level of comfort and your ability to just see this thing, thing through all the way to the end, you know, um, for the client and with the client, you know, like, again, that can get taxing if you're not charging enough. So um, let's dive into these questions, Joe. Um, this is where I think you do a really good job uh, right from the beginning of the conversations with the clients. The first questions you have to ask are not around pricing. The first questions you have to ask are not around scope. They are around figuring out what problems that lead has, that client has. <clears throat> Why, what's wrong with your current site? What problems are you having with your current site? Why are you moving to Webflow or why are you rebuilding your site in Webflow? Understand what that client has as a problem and what they want to do about it, because that's why they're going to you and that's why they're paying you. So if you figure out what their motive is, you can then use your pricing and you can use your skills and your services to go and solve those problems. So that's the first thing, understanding why they want to give you money. Because if you understand why they want to give you the money, they are much more likely to give you the money. So that's, that's step one. Ask those questions, be really transparent about it, and use that throughout your entire pitch. If someone has a problem with the way that their website scales, keep talking about how you're going to build a scalable website. If they have problems about updating plugins in WordPress, Keep talking about how Webflow doesn't require that and you're going to build a system that won't require any updates for anything. That's really important. That's a step one. And no matter what service you're doing, what project you're working on, that's the first step. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We've got a lot of thoughts coming in here from the crowd um, about what, they, what they're asking, what they should maybe think about. Do we want to take a second here and, and, and look through some of that? Um, think yeah. about like a home, yeah, the sure, budget needs absolutely. to be made explicit. Yeah. So they're talking about budget. We will talk about budget. Um, let's see, uh, anything you see particular in here, why you need a new website. So Penny's kind of talking about the stuff you just mentioned, asking the client what the goal is for the website here and what they think the needs are. Um, Rohan, everybody wants to know about the budget. Everybody wants to know how to get to the right budget and how to get to some of that. So we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about that in the next section is literally we're going to be dedicated entirely to kind of scoping the project and determining that budget and outlining how you present that budget to the client, the different ways you can kind of try to interact with a customer to get that budget. And so um, let's see, this is a good one here. How do you get the confidence to charge? I feel uh, high. It feels intimidating. Um, and I think this goes back to yeah. some of the stuff we've talked about before about setting up that portfolio, knowing the value you provide, right? We know what we bring to the table as FinSuite. And even before I was with FinSuite, I knew what I could do. I knew the value I brought to the table. And this allows you to set that tier. This allows you to be confident. And so this is where you're probably not going to be as confident as you could be if it's your first website. If you're 10th, 10, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 website, now you're like, oh, I know exactly what I can do. And so you're a little more confident inside of that. And so um, 
any other thoughts there, Joe? Yeah, confidence comes over time. It, it really does. And we're going to talk more about that. And mm. re really, all of these questions are going to be answered throughout the stream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this one right here from Ezekiel, absolutely. There are ways to offer multiple options. And we have a whole segment just talking about that. That's a big, big strategy we use at FinSuite. So let's yeah. go on. Let's go through okay, these key let's questions. Let's go through the, yeah, let's. Uh, Did we go this. through all the questions or no? Oh, okay. Well, there is one question that we did not go over, and this one is usually asked. It's asked at the right time, and it's a hard question to ask. You need to work towards asking your lead how much they want to pay. It's not easy. Starting out, you're going, you may sound really bad doing it. It may turn people off. But if you build the skill of asking people how much they want to spend, that is going to really, really help your sales process. This is how we do it. We're going to talk about the project and usually towards the beginning of the conversation, say, how much do you want to spend? What is your budget for this work? And the reason I ask is because I want to be able to put the right resources and time into this project so you're paying what you want and we're delivering what you want. That sounds good and that sounds like you are trying to help them. And it's true, you are. So you ask and you explain why you're asking. I'm asking you so I can give you the best service for the amount that you want to pay. If you want to pay $5,000, i will figure out how to make it $5,000. If you want to pay $20,000, i will put a package together for you that's going to be $20,000. So asking that question, it's not going to work the first time. It's not going to work the 10th time. But when it does start to work, you're going to be selling and closing deals exactly how much the person wants to pay and you are going to be able to not guess throughout the whole call. You know how much they want to pay and you're going to hit that budget. Yeah. And this is important. So that's a big to, one. It's and it's an important one. It's like asking or getting that number from the client, learning how to gracefully get that number from whoever the person is that's on the other side of this negotiation table is an art. You know, you can scare someone off by asking somebody what their budget is or what, especially if it's early and you don't have the relationship and you don't present it like Joe just said, where you're saying, hey, I'm trying to accommodate you. I'm trying to build this package and we do work all the way from this range to this range. So it will really help me if I knew where your target was. You don't have to get them to commit to an exact number, but if you get a range, now you can prepare, right? And you can come up with some ideas, which we're going to talk about here in a second about like creating packages. We're going to talk about the different um, ways you can price your projects and we'll talk about how to present these numbers so um i don't know do we want to jump into the next section now about gathering project scope um ha have we one, shared all i have one more here? one yeah. more on the how much do you want to spend okay this is such an important question that i, I want to share as much as we possibly can about it how much do you want to spend give give them a reason to give you that number and the reason to give you that number like we said, is to put the right resources on the project. So if you're a solo worker or you're working with a small team, you can say, should we have our whole team dedicated to your project for the entire length of the project? Or should we, should we have this as one of our projects? You know, there, there's a, a good way to say it and a bad way to say it, but you can make those kind of statements. Like, should we put our entire team and our entire effort towards this project? And some people may say, yeah, you know, we do. We want to spend the 30000 and do that. Or they say, no, 10000 is it. If you're going to get it done, get it done. 
Now, when we work in a bigger team with FinSuite, this is even easier because we get to say, we have a team of people on that we work with. We have a whole team of 35 people. We have people that work at this range. We have people that work at this range. And we have people that work at this range. You're going to get a great product no matter what. Everything is guaranteed. But if you tell me the price, I can tell you what we can do for you at that price. Yeah. So yeah, that's yes. a little bit more context into how you can work that question. And that becomes a little bit more, it's, it's easier for us to do because of what you just described. So let's try to put this, because mm -hmm. most of the people watching this video are not that, right? They're maybe hoping to get to that. Maybe mm -hmm. they've got a small team, they've got three or four people. And so you can still set up the structure, the value proposition, if you will, the same way Joe just described, right? Like if you act as, and this is a great way to just act when you're dealing with clients anyway, as a broker that's working on their behalf, right? When you cross the table, right? A lot of people think a negotiation thing is where you're head to head with somebody. But if you cross the table and sit next to that person and you act as their like Sherpa, let me guide you through. I know you don't understand all this process, but a website is not just a website anymore. A website requires illustration. A website requires design. A website, a website requires technical optimization. A website requires blah, blah integrations, right? And so now you start acting as a coach, as counsel, to this person who's trying to buy from you and you can now remove that negotiation tactic where it makes it easier for you to say, so if I understand what you're working with, right? If I understand your budget now, let's go attack this together and come up with the best plan to get you to your goals, right? This is why it's important to understand what their goal actually is. Is the website just a brochure? Maybe they're not really interested. Maybe they'd only update it every five years. They don't really care. You know, and you're never going to get twenty, thirty thousand dollars out of them. You're never going to get ten thousand dollars out of them. That's you need to know that early, right? And this goes back to qualifying the prospect and knowing what type of website they are, what type of business they are, right? If you're pitching ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollar websites to to you know local mom and pop shops, you're never going to close those deals, right? They have different expectations about where your price point should be, and so before you even kind of get into any of the weeds that we're going to dive into here about project scope or how to present these different various options for closing, you have to really get good at understanding the customer. And we did a, um, what episode was that Joe that we dove deep into that, like how to really understand and, and, um, how to sell the value of you and Webflow. I think it was where we were talking specifically about that yep. sales process, qualifying your leads, right? Because it doesn't matter if you ask all the right questions, if you're talking to the wrong person, those questions may not land anyway. Right. And you may have to ask somebody a different question if they're a, a small marketing agency or a small startup with 20, 30, 50 employees doing a million dollars a year in sales or two, five, ten million dollars a year in sales versus, you know, the local whatever uh, dog groomer who needs a new website and maybe has a three to five thousand dollar budget. And so all of this stuff you know, comes into play. And again, it's so nuanced. Um, so really, we're just trying to give you a little bit of some guardrails here to, to think through this this content here. Um, but once you've kind of got a feel for who that prospect is and what their goal is, what they need the website to do, what their timeline is, um, you know, once you have that foundation, then the next thing you need to do, and this is where questions again come in super strong, is understanding the scope of the project. Because you may pitch a $10,000 website, but at the end of the day, you might discover it was supposed to be a $20,000 website. And if you didn't do the scoping right, if you don't like really understand those needs and more nuance, you can be closing big websites, but still find yourself on the hook 
or not happy or not satisfied because you still haven't hit all of these check marks. So Joe, let's let's shift gears a little bit here and jump into a little bit of the scoping, right? Because this becomes the second most important part after you found the right prospect, you've got them, you know, ready. They want to work with you. How do you accurately get the information from them so that you can put together a quote that's not going to scare them away? We need to see a site map. It's amazing how many companies will come to you and try to get a price out of you without an official site map. Get them to make a list of their pages. If they can't spend the time to list out all the pages on the site, they are not worth your time. So make sure that that is clear and make sure that it's they understand that this price is for these pages. So that's number one, getting that site map together and, and really understanding, is this a 10-page site? Is this a 20-page site? Does this have a huge CMS? Does this have a simple blog? Got to understand that. Next, asking for examples of sites that they like. This is a big one. You may have in your head, based on a past, based on their current site, based on maybe their site map, that they're going to have a certain type of site. And you're quoting based on that but maybe they have something completely different in their head. So you need to line up those visuals. We ask, send two sites, three sites that you want us to use as inspiration for this design. If they send over crazy, beautiful sites with advanced animations and advanced layouts, this could be a problem. This could turn a 10,000 budget into a 20,000 budget. So asking for those examples is really important. So you're not only aligning in text on the page and content and sitemap, you're also aligning in the visual look and feel. Yeah, I think Ezekiel, that's all. I like the idea of a sitemap. Okay, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, getting all of this outlined ahead of time, you know, is again and this is where getting the client to participate in this process can often be very difficult right like joe said if if they can't take the time to outline the page structure you know like what kind of problem are you going to have getting content from this person down the road you know um yeah. and, and we're going to talk about that as it comes down to setting timelines and whatnot but like Making sure, and this is part of your setup process, making sure that there's a clear line of communication and expectations for the customer for how you're going to exchange information back and forth and get this stuff is so important, you know, because this is where projects can also fall apart because you never know when someone's just going to like disappear or they're going to expect you to put something together. And a lot of times they're like, well, I hired you to do that. Right. And so like you need to understand when it comes to the project scope, who's going to be doing this content? Right. Like, am I doing design? Am I doing the copywriting or is client doing copywriting? Is client doing design or other things? You know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talk about when it comes to pricing and understanding the project scope is that you need to break out these different services. You need to create line items when you're trying to talk about throwing a 10, 20, 30, 50 thousand dollar project to somebody. If you don't have line items that explain what this like what gets you to $20,000 or $10,000, like you're gonna, no chance you're gonna close the deal, right? If you just have some abstract number and it was like, mm, I stuck my finger in the wind and it feels like a $20,000 project. 
not very many people are just going to be like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. We should do that. Like, this seems like a $20,000 project. But if you go through and you're like, design XYZ, illustrations XYZ, you know, uh, Lottie, animation, blah, blah, whatever. We need this plugin to integrate with so-and-so. And so again, going back to those key questions and refining that back to this level. And so that when you're delivering these project outlines, you're giving them basically answers to the questions you ask them, right? You're regurgitating their answers back to them in a way that makes sense. Now you've just quantified a value to each of those things and it becomes harder to pull that away, right? When a client says, oh, I was really thinking about spending $10,000. Oh, no worries, we can get the $10,000. We just probably can't do these interactions that you wanted. We probably can't do this integration that you needed. And now you start pulling things away from the customer, the client, and they're like, oh no, but we really need that. We really, really want that. Oh, okay, well then at that, we're in this range, you know, in this tier. And so again, some of that scope stuff, um, really those sample reference sites and making sure that you're on the same page as what the client wants. You know, you might think it's a simple little layout and they want this crazy complex design. And if you're already committed, you know, maybe that's not ideal. So. Yeah, it's, it's tough getting that, getting that together is also going to help you coming up with your pricing model and the pricing model is so flexible. There are so many options here. So let's get into the pricing model and let's say this, how much do you want to spend doesn't work. They, you say, how much do you want to spend? And they just do not answer the question for whatever reason. Maybe they really don't know. Maybe they feel like you're trying to take advantage of them. Start to put out some feelers. Are you a, are you a three to three to 5,000 client? Are you a 10 to 15,000 client? Are you a 15 to 30,000 client? Give them some random ranges and have them come up with some general idea. That's a really good first step. Throw the, throw some numbers and see what they take back. They'll, eh, maybe I'm a three to five or maybe three to seven max. Okay, now you have some numbers to work with. The way that I love to price is with flat pricing. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the flat pricing model. Rymar is going to come in with time and materials, continuous and ongoing type work. They all work. There's no right or wrong answer. There's only strategies. So let me start with this, this flat fee. Come up with different options that the user can choose from. Just like if you're buying anything, if you're buying something in a store or e-commerce or whatever, there are options. You don't just walk into a store and they're like, this is the only thing you can buy here. You can offer a package at this, a package at this, and a package at this. Let's say you want to charge Let's say you want to make $15,000 for a website. You can offer an option for 10,000, an option for 15,000 and an option for 20,000. So the 10,000 is your minimum. You're not going below that. That is you're stripping the animations, you're stripping the on, you're stripping um, the special CMS template setup that they don't really need but they could use. The 15,000 adds some interactions. It adds a few CMS updates and then come up with the crazy 30,000 that's going to add crazy this and crazy that and crazy this and crazy that. And maybe you don't expect them to take that high package. It's not there to actually sell them. It's there to show, hey, we can do this type of work. If you want it, we can offer it to you. But really, I want you to choose the 15. And having that 30 up there is going to make the 15 sound better. It's going to make the 10 sound better. And it's going to, to just 
give the user a lot of options. Give that client the option to really make their own decision, not just be given a price and that's it. It's a flat amount. If you give yeah. just a single amount, you could lose them. Yep. That's nobody wants that. And this is um, this is a very common tactic in sales called the options close, right? You're giving people options. People like options. They don't like too many options, so you don't want to give them five or eight choices. You know, the more choices you create, the less likely they are to make a decision. Um, but two, three choices is a great way to just kind of create, again, a range of value for them to understand. Like, okay, I can get in and, and really probably your goal is to like set the one you want them to pick as the middle option, right? You kind of want, yes. even if you know, like Joe's saying, it's a little uh, the high end, right? We've got this crazy kind of like, you're going to let me empower me to do what, whatever creative goodness I can do. That's at the top end in the middle of the road, which is what you think they're going to pick is like the thing that makes the most sense. And then you strip away some of the goodies and create that basic package where, you know, bare minimum, they still know they're going to get solid work. They're going to get everything they need from you. They're just not going to get a lot of the bells and whistles or a lot of the things that may take you to that next edge. Um, and then you can get into with these flat price projects, kind of what Joe talks about in other episodes about stacking, right? So if you close a $10,000 deal, deliver 15 or $20,000 worth of value so that the next time you have your baseline, people are still looking at your sites and they're like, oh, these are $20,000, $30,000 sites. Now you can charge, you know, that tier again, over deliver and you clap into that next uh, step into that next tier. And so going back to setting up and bumping that baseline, you know, that makes a lot of sense um, there, but that's not the only model, right? Like, um, Penny said something here about charging for discovery. Some people are building more consultancy types approaches, right? So, um, maybe you want to charge hourly. Maybe you want to charge on a retainer for a while. I was doing this, right? And this is another great way to just make a decent income if you want. And if you can find the businesses that need this kind of work, but don't have this, the resources in house, right? Maybe they want to take on web development, but they don't want to hire somebody full time. You know, they, 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 they need some somebody part-time or somebody that can broker some of these services for them. And so you can step in and say, Hey, pay me X thousands of dollars a month or X hundreds of dollars a month or whatever your tier is that you're going to come up with a package. And now you become like a part-time employee for this company, or you sell them a block of 10 hours a month or charge an hourly rate. You know, there's all sorts of different ways. A lot of times this come into play for maintenance. So a lot of times like the, the initial project might be like some fixed cost thing that then you expand the project or, or like, a lot of copywriters and content people do this because they're going to be creating content on a regular basis. So if a company needs blogs, if they need articles and these are services you offer or that you want to offer, or you have other value added services, like you're going to be doing some technical marketing for them, or you're going to be doing some SEO services or whatever it is, you can build that stuff into packages and you can even build in the web design stuff into those packages. So instead of front loading a project for 20, 30, $50,000, you get a client to pay you two grand a month. 2,500 bucks a month, three grand a month, five grand a month, whatever it is. This becomes more palatable for some of these businesses. It creates a little bit of stability on your end and it creates, you know, like this nice little retainer income that you can then uh, benchmark and grow. And again, there's just different models that work for different people who want to build their businesses in different ways. And so we wanted to kind of approach both sides. It's like the fixed cost is usually how people see some of the web stuff. But a lot of people are looking for creative and design and web help, but they don't want to hire somebody full time for that. And so there's places to just find creative ways to extract the value or to close the deal or to take the next step in what it is that, you know, like you're trying to do as a career. So um, any any thoughts there, Joe, about any of that before we jump to the next step? 
Yeah, we have a lot of good questions. I know the questions are Jeez. coming in strong. It's a lot. I mean, we could have another hour after this answering questions. These are all great. Should we take a question break or should we continue and wait till the end? Let's let's run through these last let's things. I think a... we've already touched on these. Okay. And then we can just dedicate okay. the, the last, you know, whatever, 20, 30 minutes to just going deep into the question here. So let's jump into an estimating timelines. You know, we don't need to talk too much about this because theoretically the client will give you the timeline. Um, we just wanted to say that you should always allow yourself more room than you think you're going to need to build always. these projects and to do this work, especially as you get into these bigger projects, more complicated projects if only to give yourself some time to get the work from the client because just just because you might work fast doesn't mean the client's going to give you that same speed turnaround and so this can you know joe um I, I think you should talk to them about setting the expectations you have a clause at the beginning that basically says hey we're going to hit your deadline as long as you do x y and z because sometimes you need some room to push out that you know deliverable or that that finished date so talk a little bit about how you Absolutely. manage and set those expectations right from the beginning at finsuite we set our timelines and deadlines with the expectation that the client is answering the same day or next day for feedback, the same day or next day for next steps, for content. They're not late on any content deliveries, and that's the deadline we give you. That usually does not happen. Clients are usually always late, and we have a piece in our contract that says, if you are late in giving feedback, if you are late in delivering content, this, this due date becomes invalid completely. You don't want this to always happen and you don't want projects to deliver months after they're supposed to. So as a safe bet, make sure you tell this to the client ahead of time. Tell them that there could be project delays and there will be if you are late delivering content and then always give yourself the buffer. Always give yourself I like to do 2x. If you think something's going to take you one month, figure that it's going to take two months. Not two months of your continuous work, maybe one month of your continuous work like you, like you think, and then one month of the client being late, the client going back and forth. It just yeah. happens. I, I like to think that it's just part of this industry. Yep. Yeah. And so be aware goes, of that. And, sure. and be aware of that in quoting too. Every time, every single time, <laughs> it just, there's always going to be delays. You know, like if anybody's done this for any amount of time, you know that getting that content from the client is always like pulling teeth. So always build yourself a little bit more time. That's really all we wanted to say about estimating timelines. You'll get better at this as you go, right? You'll start understanding, you know, like Joe said, it may be a week's worth of your time, but you may want four weeks to deliver that week's worth of your time, right? You may not want to just work full yeah. one week straight with a client. You have other projects, you have other things. And so this is how you manage other projects is that you have to kind of allocate your time and block off time to work for various projects. And so, yeah, it may be an, a week or two of your time, but you may not have two solid weeks to dedicate to that project. And so you'll have to space it out over the course of two months. And so, again, um, this gives time to go back and forth with clients, whatever it is. And so um, let's jump into that last little bit, which is going to be kind of reiterating um, how to get that money. You know, Joe talked about money. the options closes, you know, and this is going to all tie in. Exceeding expectations, tie back to the beginning, you know, making sure you're hitting all those questions um, all the pain points, right? The reason you ask them at the beginning what problems they have with the website 
is because at the end, you should be theoretically providing them solutions, right? And so as you start presenting the solutions, if you've done a good job from the beginning to this point, it just seems like a logical solution to say, yes, you know, you, you've done a good job of becoming their consultant. You've done a good job of like stepping around from in front of them at the negotiation table to sitting next to them. They trust you. They think you're guiding them in the right way. They obviously like your work. This is why they're talking to you in the beginning. They've seen your portfolio. They've seen your existing stuff. And so like you've already got a lot of the things. Now you just got to ask for the close. You know, you got to you got to put this in a, in a way that makes yeah. it easy for the client to say yes. And you need to ask. You can't be afraid to ask. A lot of people, especially starting out, are afraid to ask for those big numbers. Or remember, big numbers for you. You may look at a number and say, that's so much money for a website. It's not. It, it may feel like a lot for you, but you have to ask for that higher amount. Maybe they're not going to choose it. Like the options, they're not gonna, they may not choose that highest package, but you will find that somebody is going to choose that higher package, and then you have your chance to shine. You have your chance to build that custom lead flow system in CMS. You have that chance to go crazy with animations. You have that chance to build a sales tool for them. You know, some crazy thing that someone's going to say yes for. Give a, give somebody a reason to say yes for that higher number. Yeah. And hey, even if they don't say yes, even if they're not going to agree to that higher package, consider doing it. Consider building it anyway. Because the next person that comes along, you're going to say, look at this awesome sales tool I built. Look at this awesome interactions thing I just did. This costs this much money. Maybe you weren't paid that much money for it, but that's how much it costs you. That's how much that, that price is. Yeah. So keep pushing yourself and keep going that higher, higher amount and delivering at that higher amount. Yeah. And you may hear some no's, right? When you start getting into some of this, you may, you may not close every deal, right? You're not, it's very yeah. few people have a hundred percent win yeah. rate when it comes to closing deals, you know, to be honest, if, if you're a lot lower than 50%, you're probably doing something wrong before you get to that point. You know, like you should be pretty close to 50% or higher on a lot of these deals. If you're getting to the place where you're presenting money, right? If you're presenting a, a dollar to somebody, a dollar amount, um, you should be closing those at pretty high percentage because you've done a lot of things right up to that point. And it should just make logical sense, you know? Um, and so if you're doing a lot less than that, if you're sending out 10 proposals and only closing two or three of those, I'd be interested to know like what your process is leading up to that. Um, because I bet you're skipping some real vital steps to either building or presenting the value or, um, you know, whatever it may be, there's something else probably that's structurally wrong there. And so I, I don't know, um, if you have any thoughts there, but, um, before we go into that exceeding expectations, and then I, I want to dive into some of these, um, yeah, I want to dive to some of the Q&A. Yeah, exceeding expectations. Just because you're making a certain amount of money for a site doesn't mean you have to cut off your services and stop doing great things. Somebody may choose that lower package. They may choose the cheapest package or the middle package, but that doesn't mean that you give them your worst work or you give them your lowest level work. That should mean this is an opportunity to exceed their expectations, make them go crazy, make them so happy, and then attract bigger and bigger business. That's how you can naturally and very organically raise your bar, raise the amount of money that that you should be charging. Yeah. And we've talked about this a number of times throughout this show um, as we move into the Q&A session here that our core strategy at FinSuite, and, and this is 
This is something that's ubiquitous across the people at FinSuite. The reason it's a core strategy at FinSuite as a whole is first of all, because it starts at the top. So Joe kind of sets this expectation, but then everybody else on the team also has this idea that we want to go above and beyond, right? We want to do something either beautiful for the community or for the client or for ourselves or for whatever it is. And so having that personal commitment to just delivering your best work every time is really what's important. And that means selecting projects that allow you to stay committed to that effort. If you start just taking on a bunch of projects here and there because you just want to make a little bit of money, you may start increasing your bottom line, but that satisfaction rate is going to drop and the quality of each project is going to drop and you'll find yourself just kind of turning into an assembly line of web design. You know, and we don't really need more of that. This industry is already starting to become more and more commoditized. And so your goal here, if you're trying to get to a higher price point, is really to find ways to separate yourself, separate yourself from the competition, to create unique value propositions, and to do things that other people are not, which means really paying attention to those details and giving them a reason to say, even if your project is a little bit more expensive than the other things I'm considering, I'm going to go with you. Right. Like people yeah. will spend double, right. Triple sometimes like they just will spend way more money to work with somebody they yes. care to work with than another piece of competition because of all the uh, uh, intangible things that we've talked about throughout this episode and throughout the other, you know, series here. Like it really is about finding a way to connect with the person that you're selling to before they even come to you. Right. That's what part of the show is. That's what part of the marketing is. That's what part of like some of the stuff that we do around the fringes, giving back to the community. It gives us a kind of a competitive advantage when they come to us. They just want to work with FinSuite. Right. The price is very rarely the thing that we're squibbling over. It's just they want to work here. And so you should find a way at whatever level you are to do that same kind of value proposition. This isn't something that you have to have a 30 person team to accomplish. You can accomplish this as an individual. Right. Joe did this for years until he got here. I was doing this for years, selling large individual websites and consulting packages for a long time before I came uh, and took this position at, at, at FinSuite, you know, and so like you can do this. Anyone can kind of do these things. And so with that, let's jump into the Q's here, the Q and A's. Um, let's see. Jose Arce was asking a really good question that I wanted to bring up here about outsourcing. You know, if somebody's outsourcing to them. Um, how do they price so that somebody else can ask above, you know, so somebody can oversell them or, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of pitfalls to these kind of conversations, by the way, if you're kind of at the mercy of that, um, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts on this, Joe? I don't know. We, we've never worked in this, in this strategy. We, we don't really work with companies at where they're the middle person. Um, when we have done it though, and what we do is we just, we treat them like a normal client. We treat them like it's, you know, we are charging our prices. I don't care what you're charging the end person. This is what we cost. If you want to work with us, this is how much it costs. So that's, that's the best advice I can give there. Don't change your prices just because there's a middle person. Yeah. Hey, and real quick, uh, while you're watching, we don't do ads or promotions or spammy marketing stuff, but if you got any value out of this video while you're watching, go ahead and hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, we'd appreciate the subscription to the channel. We do these every week, every Tuesday at noon, uh, really just to kind of connect and give back to all y'all. So we appreciate any of that. Um, let's see. 
Decone is asking, on your website, we have a standard animation option. Can you give us an example of standard animations? So we break down, you know, standard animations versus complex animations and some of this other stuff, Joe. Can can you give um, a little bit of context to that? Sure. And I would like to group this question and answer with another question from Tanner, who says that he noticed that the pricing estimator on the FinSuite site has pages and animations and that this doesn't completely align with value-based pricing. Absolutely. That is not how we price projects at all. That is, it. there is literally no, we don't take any inspiration from that. That is only a qualifier. That overnight took away all of our crap leads. Every lead that comes in is like, hey, I wanna do this for free or I want a $300 50 page website those kind of requests went away. So this is not how we price projects. This is only a way to bring in people that are interested in paying money. Yeah. Um, and it's fun. It's it's fun to click through. People come to it and they're like, oh, I was clicking through it and it was fun. Yeah. That's really the only goal of it. Yeah, I think this goes back to I, yeah. one of the ways you can set those expectations early. When you come and you start clicking around on that little thing, you already know you're not coming to us for a $5,000 website. So if you got a $5,000 budget, you're just not reaching out anymore, right? So this is one of those tools that like Joe said, we're not really like, these are not set numbers. People don't click this thing and they're like, oh, this is what I'm gonna pay, right? This just starts the conversation and helps us screen the people, uh, the qualified leads, so that we have a better opportunity to make sure that by the time we get to presenting a number, we have a high likelihood that we're gonna go ahead and close this deal. So hopefully that answers those questions on on some of that. And also on the the new website, we're building a new finsuite.com and that is not going to have a pricing estimator like that. We're going to make it a little bit more realistic to how we actually approach conversations. There'll be a pick list or a slider where the person can actually choose their cost. So they will slide on the thing themselves. They will pick their cost. And if it's a cost we don't like, we're going to throw an alert and say, hey, this is too low. We don't work with that. So we are actually going to make our new site the way that we actually go and pitch for projects. Yeah, great. Um, Okay, so Alvin NG was asking, what if the client has no idea what they want? Do we still ask them to give us the website reference? How do we tackle this? Man, if the client doesn't know what they yeah. want. Oof. That's a great, yeah. You know, sometimes that is a big red flag and you need to walk away from that. And sometimes the person just honestly doesn't know what type of visual design they want. They're, they have some business and they truly, truly from the bottom of their hearts don't know what their business website should look like. So earlier on in FinSuite, when I was getting any project that I could possibly get, I would go and find those examples for them. So they said, hey, I don't have any idea. I would go on an inspiration site and I'd pick out two, three or four examples that I thought were really good and I explained why I thought those were good. And I said, give me your feedback on that. And based on the feedback, uh, they would come back and say, this one's great. This is exactly what I'm looking for. And now at that point, we have the visual example and we can now move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you gotta be, if you're in that position. Yeah. And this is the thing, like there's, there's stuff that happens once you're a little more scaled out 
that you can expect and kind of demand that you maybe can't expect or demand at those early stages, right? A lot of times at the beginning stages, you have to be a little bit of a go-getter. You have to be a creative resources out, a resource outside of the scope of just building the website. You might have to go find a little inspiration for them. You might have to do a little bit of X, Y, or Z that's kind of above and beyond. But this is, again, how you build a name and a reputation for doing these kind of sites. And what that does is it gets you into tiers where you can start working with more sophisticated clients. And that's really where you want to be, right? But it's hard to just jump into the deep end of web design because you'll be exposed really quickly. If you go and start talking to the sophisticated client and you're not sophisticated in how to deal with them, you're immediately disqualify yourself from that conversation. And so really it's just about learning how to, you know, deal and manage with these expectations all the way through. Um, Penny is bringing up another point here. She works with a lot of clients who don't know what they need. So sell an extensive discovery process. This is another thing going back to pricing and, and ways that people uh, get value, right? So like, maybe you want to charge for a discovery phase. This is something again, that you're dealing with probably a more sophisticated client. Not a lot of companies, not a lot of small mom and pop shops are going to pay you 2,500 bucks, five grand, whatever you want to charge, even a thousand bucks to do a discovery phase. But I think this can be really important. Right. You may sell this as an add on surface service to say, let me help you figure out what it is that you need client that you don't know. Let me do some research. Let me put my team to work. And this could be a line item on your budget that you could help you get to that next tier. And so all of these are creative ways to, again, understand the needs, go back to, you know, uh, tying your value back to those needs and how you solve those problems. Yep. Um, Let's see, Milton Amaya said something like, I feel like my proposals lack. I'm not sure what they lack, but I would also say that a lot of people spend too much time worried about their proposal, right? They spend too much time yeah, worried about this fancy document and it has to be a brochure that's like archival and every page is perfectly designed and none of that shit matters, mm -mm. right? No. Like the biggest deals I've closed it have often just been emails back and forth. You just couple yep. email and back and forth. You send a little word doc or something with some bullet points, some assumptions, some basic shit, you got a deal. And then you can hash it out with a properly defined statement of work and a contract or whatever. But what are your thoughts on that, Joe, as far as like, I think people put too much emphasis on like what their proposal looks like or how it works or all that. That's too much. I agree. When we send out a proposal, it is the statement of work. It's a 12, 12 point Ariel font PDF document. It's not fancy at all. We played around with some very visual statements of work. They were cool, but really we didn't see any difference in people saying yes or no. So we, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters the information that you're putting into it. It matters how you're answering those problems that the client told you about in the beginning of the conversation. You should be listening all the way through and all the way up to the pitch later that week. You should be rehashing those initial problems and giving the solutions. That's what matters, not the visual. And we see a lot of people that go with the visual proposal route. It's templated shit. Yeah. You know, if you have this beautiful proposal, we know that you're not making this custom for every single person. This is a template and you add a few different lines inside this to, to make it custom and that's it. So it is a strategy. It can work for some, for some companies, but I don't think you need it. And we, yeah. we do not do that at all. Well, and there are places where some kind of really refined document makes a lot of sense. 
especially if you have to go through channels. And these are typically for large projects that have to go through some kind of pure procurement process where you need different layers down chain to be able to understand the full nuance of your RFP or your response or your proposal, where you're not going to be able to physically present some of this stuff, or you don't have relationships with the people who need to see these things. Right. So it's like, maybe you're dealing with some kind of, you know, purchasing officer and they got to take that up chain to their, you know, executives or whatever it may be. This is where a little bit more meaty proposal could make some sense. But a lot of times people, you clutter up the stuff that matters. Right. Like people are now worried about reading this book and this thing and experiencing this, whatever it is that you've built, as opposed to paying attention to all these other things, which can be very simplified. And depending on who you're working with, that could be a huge turnoff. If you're working with a decision maker who's like, you know, they're snappy and they just want all the details right up front. OK, you know, like you need to get to the just get to it. Um, some people might want more well, details, whatever. Again, this is understanding your customer, your client, et cetera. Um, any other thoughts there, Joe? Go to the next one. Yeah, go to the next one. Do you charge clients accounts or do you send invoices and wait for them to pay you? You've talked a lot about your pricing. Do you want to answer this? We do 50% upfront, 50% on delivery. We do not, we don't, we will start working if the client has not paid us that we are more concerned about hitting your deadline and we are more concerned about working for you than seeing that money in our account immediately. Now, if, if they haven't paid in like two weeks, so they said, hey, we're going to send the payment tomorrow and two weeks later, uh, they have not sent it. That's a huge red flag, but that usually does not happen. Yeah. Uh, usually they say, okay, we're going to send it. Our bank takes two days to send it and usually three to five business days it's in your account. Waiting for those seven days I think is a turnoff. That means that you're money focused and you are not client focused and work focused. So usually we'll say, hey, with your okay, we are going to start work. Then have the right people sign this contract, have the right people process this payment, but we're ready to start tomorrow. Yeah. That's a big selling point and people really like that. This goes again to, to understanding your client because I've been burned and you hear stories all the time about people getting burned. So the way to do this is to kind of protect yourself. If you're just starting out, you never deliver finished assets, you know, like the work that you can start doing, um, doesn't necessarily need to be all of the in-depth project, right? Set yourself benchmarks, you know, to, to hit, or, um, I don't know. I hate to say that everyone could just go ahead and start working because like not everyone, not everyone's going to pay you every time. Right. And so this has to be a decision yeah. you make. This has I, to come down to your comfort with the client your financial ability to sustain the hit if they don't pay, right? Like that's really what it comes down to. If, you know, yes. you kind of have to be willing to assume the risk if you're doing that. Otherwise, get the money up front and for sure never transfer the site until you get paid, right? Like build it in your Webflow site, make sure you control that property until you do get some payment, right? Because the highest likelihood of getting burned is if you turn over the asset before you've received any payment. And I hear about that all the time. Right. Where somebody is moving in a hurry. The client was in a hurry. And so there's all this pressure to get it done, get it done, get it done. And you get it done. You turn it over in good faith that they're going to pay and maybe they don't pay. And so, again, this comes down to who are you working with? You know, what are your processes like? And, you know, what you know, what do you want to like? How do you want to how do you want to play the game? You know. I'll, I'll make a comment job? on that. Well, I'm laughing because that's not how we do it at FinSuite. The 
we will transfer the project even before we send the invoice, the final invoice. We do not care about that payment coming in or the invoice going out or anything. Sometimes we forget to send the invoice and we send it three weeks after the site launched. Yeah. Or there's some there's some changes just, at the end of the project and we send it after. I'm now, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll explain. Yeah, yeah. Most people just don't have we've the never been burned. to do that. We've, we've, well, we... We don't, we don't have the bankroll. We have money to grow. We are a very, very successful company, but it was not always like that. We've sure. been doing this forever. We've had over 100 Webflow builds, unique Webflow clients, over 100, and we have literally not been burned once. Yeah. Will that happen to you? Maybe. Will it not happen? This, you could be burned. This is, yeah. I'm not saying that this is how you should go and operate, but we have never been burned. And maybe it's because we really truly care about the work and people honestly want to pay us at the end. Yeah. We have people saying, Hey, send me the invoice. I need to pay for this seriously. Yeah. So this is how we do it. And I, th I think clients I, really do appreciate it. And I think anyone in the audience could operate in the same model, assuming they set up the expectations the same way. And assuming they were working with high credibility clients the whole time, right? Like really, you know, like again, the companies that are coming to us are reputable businesses. They pay their bills. This is how they get ahead in business, right? So like, again, if you're dealing with a company that's reputable, if you're dealing with somebody who's got a, like, this is different risk you can take. If Joe Schmo calls you and they don't have a website, you know, and there's no information to be found about them and you don't know what profile this business is or whatever's going on. Somebody wants to start a startup and they're going to pay you with exposure and some little money once they start selling their courses and blah, blah, blah. Like that's where you start getting into trouble, right? Like that's where you start running into places where you're just you're dealing with people who are not really serious about building a quality website. Maybe the website is not a core part of their business. Um, maybe they're not an established business. And so again, I think this really comes down to the type of clients you're working with. Um, and, and you may need to set some protections. You may want to be completely open. Um, again, I think that comes down to the risk you're willing to accept and the types of clients you're working with. Um, so, and also know that we don't take on cheap clients. If somebody is writing a message and I think that they're a cheap person, and they they are trying to lowball them as much as possible. They're an instant no. See you later. Goodbye. So maybe there is a bit of a vetting process that I don't even know about that is just getting rid of all the people that are trying to lowball. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, that's not what I was meant to click on. This one. How much does it cost for a company not to have a website? <laughs> Depends on what business they're in. Um, yeah. Let's see. Same as clients anything let's see what's coming in here how do you price ngos or startups um yeah i think it's kind of the same approach you still have to understand same. their needs yeah. you know you still have to like ask the right questions and do the right scoping process a lot of people think that because they're working with a nonprofit you know they got to give some substantially discounted service and for certain things that makes sense to do and other things, maybe not, right? If the nonprofit is trying to achieve a goal of standing out and raising a bunch of donations, they may be willing to pay a nice, pretty penny for a website to help them do that. And it doesn't make sense for them to look for a discount bargain basement website to do that effectively. 
Um, and same thing for startups, right? If, if it's a startup and they're pre-funding or whatever it is, like, listen, this is why the no-code space exists. So I tell them, you got two options. You either build it yourself or you pay someone like me to build it or you find somebody else that's in your price point, right? So like, again, a startup that is serious about doing what they're doing is either going to be doing it themselves or they're going to pay the right people to do it for them, right? We build websites for startups yes. all the time. And they know that they want some of that secret sauce. Again, that's one of the reasons they come to us. And so I don't know that your pricing strategy should shift too much based on who you're selling to. Um, Joe, any thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we don't have any different pricing. When people come to us and say, hey, I'm a startup and I want a low price, again, that's an instant no. We don't get bargain hunters. Bargain hunters are a big red flag. So you're either paying our price or you're out the door. Yeah, I agree. Um, Victor Crew thinks I'm uh, cutting you off, Joe. So I was laughing. <laughs> Everybody's. A I don't critic, get that feeling. We, we I don't can't. get the feeling. <laughs> damn it! There's also but like thank this, you for the feedback. Where where? <laughs> I I think there's also like no, this delay no, you're thing not talking too. At all. <laughs> I'll just shut up for the rest of the show. There's like this sm small delay we deal with also. Um, so that comes into play sometimes. So it may seem like we're doing that, but uh, we, we don't try. Uh, nothing purposeful here. Uh, let's see. Stick to your pricing. What do you mean by that, Aditya? Let's see. One of the things that always helped me is stick to your pricing. Don't drastically reduce because a client didn't like it initially. Yeah, that's a good point too, right? So if you put a $10,000 project out there yep. and somebody says no, don't come back and, oh, yeah, I'll, turn, I'll do it for five. I'll do it for five. You know, like, Eh, you, you know, yeah. you do better. At the beginning. That's a good point. <laughs> and that's why you can use the option method. The option method gives you the opportunity to offer the lowest package at your lowest price and then the middle price and then the high price. And having that range of services, it's already qualifying that that official yes or no. If you want the lowest one, you could take it. Anything lower than that, we're not touching this project. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Andrea is saying, I think here, yeah, 50% up front. I, I agree, Andrea. I tend to agree with you for most freelancers, right? Like Joe's incredibly talented. I think he's got a great skill at building relationships and building trust with clients. And, and I, I expect that Joe does a few things more naturally because of his previous experience that some freelancer or starting people in this business may not be able to do. And so I agree. I think getting that money up front as a protection is something that most people should be looking to do. Does that mean that you could experiment or explore or in certain cases you might need to do something because the client's rush or the timeline's rush or whatever? Um, sure. I, I also see that. Um, Jay's bringing up a really and good point. Another. Oh, Go ahead. Good. Uh, another thing to really consider is as you work with bigger companies, it's not the person you're talking to that sends the money. We work with some clients that have a ridiculously bad turnaround time for payment, but we know it's going to come. We'll finish a project and not be paid for three months because this person forgot this and this person forgot this, but they eventually pay. Yeah. So also be aware that the person you're talking to, if it's a, a legit company, they may not be paying. So there are some instances where you do jump in right away. This is actually a really good point. Once you start dealing with larger operations, they may have, and it may be stated in the contract where they're going to pay you on a 90, 90 days out, right? They may be paying you on yeah. a 90 day float or a 30 day float or whatever it is. And so 
you know, and it could just be right. Like Joe said, the person who you're sending the invoice to is not the person cutting the check. So they got to send it to so-and-so and and that sits in their inbox for a week. And then, you know, that gets processed and then the person's got to cut the check. It sits on their desk for a week or two or whatever it is. And so like, yeah, um, there's lots of reasons. Again, it just comes down to the situation. And this is where contracting comes into play a little bit. We haven't talked about that at all in this episode. Um, you may need to have a little contract that you want, you know, this is goes more than just copying and pasting some contract out of, you know, some templating service. You may need to talk to a lawyer about how to structure this stuff so that you can get them to sign this contract. And then at least if they don't pay, there's a little bit of recourse or there's a little bit more, um, you know, kind of expectation that there's some, some, there's a verbal agreement, right? There's a, there's a, there's a contract to pay. So even if they haven't paid or whatever, yeah. those expectations might be, um, you know, more well accepted. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Penny, that's a good point. Yeah, pre-deposit. You can start with project planning. Hold. Yeah, this just goes back to, again, like, what do you want to do? You know, how do you want to? Yeah. How do you want to yeah. set it up? Uh, There's a good question. Do you give the client revision rounds? So how do we deal with revisions, rounds of revisions, updates, scope creep, things like that? Yeah, I, I'm going to give another answer that's that a lot of people are not going to like and probably not follow. We don't have any revision rounds. We have it's a, a pure you ask whatever you want. We are going to make you happy until the very end of the project. Sometimes that does hurt us a little bit. Sometimes it does not. And they do exactly as we expect. That's why we price our projects with a little bit of padding, a little bit of budget that our margin accounts for somebody being a terrible client. And it happens. You know, we, we have a one-month project and it turns into a three-month because the person is changing things at the end and doing this and doing that. But that's why we've never had an unhappy client. There has never been a person that left us and was like, screw FinSuite, this, this company sucks. We always leave them happy. And with that type of mentality company-wide, we're always delivering top sites and people are happy and people are coming back and they're talking about us. So that's our strategy, but that may not be your strategy. So yeah, that, that's yep. what we do. Yep. Um, let's see, Tanvi, I learned more in the last hour than the last few months trying to figure this out by myself. That's what we're here for. We appreciate those kind of comments. Feel free to share this with a nice. friend. Again, if you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe and hit that like button. That helps YouTube. Uh, you know, know that we're doing and providing some value here. So um, let's go back to this proposal question because Grace writes here, I spent time designing a great proposal layout because it's important to me, but I built and once and reused the exact same format for everyone, an easy process. Yeah, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a nice little something to look at or that you can't build value in that realm, right? Like, I think the point I'm trying to make when it comes to pr proposals is that don't get too lost in creating this elaborate presentation every time you need to like present a project, you know, because I know early on in my career, I did that, right? I spent so much time thinking about what this proposal looked like. And every time I was trying to customize it and tailor it and make it like just, ooh, it, and I was spending so much time on this thing that as I got through the process, I started realizing it wasn't really helping me because I would have those instances where somebody was in a hurry and I just sent an email and I would just type a bunch of bullet points out and kind of like give them the rundown and I had good success with those. And so I started seeing like, maybe this isn't as important. So Grace, I don't wanna say that 
you know, it's not a valuable thing or that you can't create value, especially if you start using that to like share a little bit about the company, maybe about the process. If you want to introduce the team, sure. All these things are good ideas, especially as like you're growing and scaling and experimenting. Just don't get wrapped up thinking that in order to close a deal or in order to close a big deal, you have to have some of these things, right? You can start doing that. And then as you grow, maybe it becomes valuable for you to create some kind of asset like this to share. And to, especially if you find yourself repeating the same questions, right? Maybe you want to include a FAQ section. Maybe you want to include some other stuff that just makes sense to help people understand your process. I think that's a great idea. Um, the caveat was just don't get lost. I'd like in to this. add to that. Yeah, please. Yeah. I, so Grace, to what Reimer says, it's not about having the design. The design is fine. You can have a beautiful proposal, but really what it comes comes down to is what's inside of it. And a lot of times people that have the design pro, the designed uh, presentation, their primary concern is the design. It's not the content inside. So as long as the content inside is the leader and that's what you're actually focusing your time and energy on, that's what matters. Uh, because at the end of the day, they're going to choose the best pitch, the best content. They're not going to choose the best designed presentation. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark kind of um, carrying on to this is saying that I think the hardest part is being clear what's excluded. Right. So, so I think in my mind, sometimes those mm -hmm. proposals or the contracts are really to outline, you know, like, first of all, you, the scope of work. So you want to start with what it is that you are doing. But I, I think that having some clear rails in there, we talked about this before, like I always have a list of assumptions where I did when I was creating proposals. I don't really deal with a lot of this now, um, I, you know, uh, directly with the clients, but creating a list of assumptions is a good thing to do, right? To say, hey, we're assuming that you're creating the content. We're assuming that you're doing X, Y, and Z. And that can be real clearly stated so that they know. So when you come back to any issue, it's like, no, 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 we agreed at the beginning, you and your team is doing X, Y, and Z. And so for sure, the proposal um, and that statement of work can be a good place to kind of set some of those guardrails. We have a good question from Anthony Moss. Do you use a lawyer for your contracts? Great question. So we do, and we started it like two weeks ago. Up until two weeks ago, it was just a bunch of copy pasted things put together. Now we are starting to work with companies that it's kind of embarrassing to send that out to. So we work with a lawyer. We now have our official master services agreement and it feels great. Uh, for the first time, I feel confident sending that document out and saying, Hey, this is, this is our agreement. This is, this is what we want. This is, a, this is telling you exactly what we're doing in simple terms, no legalese. Yep. And we feel protected. It feel good and it's clear and it's equal and it's, it's approved by a lawyer. So yes, I would recommend going with a lawyer. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, especially as you're growing, you know, you may start out and you may go to some template site and you may copy some pieces. And as you go, you'll edit and update that, whatever. It's no big deal when you're in the, you know, a couple thousand dollars, five, six, eight thousand dollar rent, 10,000, whatever website. Once you start getting into that next tier, this is where it starts to make sense because you screw somebody's business up that charge you $50,000 for a website. They're probably not just going to like, okay, or let you fix it. You know, like you can get into some real trouble. Yeah. Right. And so 
once you get into those bigger companies, they have different expectations. They have different processes. They might have different legal requirements themselves, right? So they may have some like requirements that they give you, right? And so you may need a lawyer just to look at some of those things. And yeah, it's, you don't need it all the time, but yeah, sometimes you will. Um, Jay made a good point earlier that I don't think, did we address that? Quick. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just a quick follow-up. Anthony came up with a follow-up. How much would we budget to have a lawyer look at that that contract? What I would recommend doing is to create the contract yourself, write out what you would want it to do, and then have the lawyer edit it and revise it. This is going to save you a lot of time and effort and a lot of money. If you just say, hey, lawyer, just write me this, it's going to be a lot of hours. Yeah. So have that template, have that base, make your adjustments and say, you know, change what you need to change so that I am protected. And the odds that if you do it the other way, you're going to get what you want are slim to none, right? Like if you just yeah. call some lawyer up and you're like, hey, I need a privacy policy for X and I want it to be natural and blah, blah and simple to read. You're going to get some convoluted article that doesn't say anything of what you want. It's some boilerplate template that they just have on the shelf that they're filling mm -hmm. in with whatever. So yeah, you take the first swing at it. And then you have a lawyer like put the legalese or kind of check that, you know, um, Jay, again, I think I brought this comment up before, but I didn't, we didn't spend much time addressing it. It a hundred percent will cost you more money taking on bad clients than it will passing on them. You may think I'm getting a quick win. I'm going to put this money in my pocket. Everything's good. I just closed another deal. And then six months into it or two months into it or a week into it or whatever it is, you're just so frustrated with this project, right? And now you're like, I wish I could give you the money back. You know, the client's calling you at all hours of the night. They're never happy with anything, you know, and, and they've well exceeded the scope of this thing. And and, and you just, you got to find ways for these trigger points. And maybe, Joe, we should have an episode about what are red flags, right? Like, actually, I think if you go yeah, to the show. Red flag episode, sure. There's a suggestion up there about how to get rid of bad clients. There's like one of the topics. So this would be a good time to point out to everyone that you can vote on these episodes, right? If you'd like to see us talk about a specific topic, if you'd like to see us talk, you know, or, or dive into something that interests you, uh, go vote. Go to growth.finsuite.com. Check out the list that we have brewing there. You can vote for any of those topics. We've got a ton of cool topics coming up. Uh, or you could suggest your own. So um, Let's see. And Somebody. let's also talk about next week. Next week, we have how to optimize your Webflow workflow. Mm -hmm. And we are going to have a special thing for anybody who's here watching. That's so if you're here, them? you watch this episode, eh, I think we should keep them waiting. All right. No, let's All tell right. them. Let's yeah, tell, tell them. them. Tell them. Tell them. Let's tell them. All right. We have built our own. CSS naming convention in Webflow. We call it the client first system. And the client first system is a Webflow system built for our clients. And it says, hey clients, we're building the site for you. You wanna edit it after? You wanna do things with it after? You maybe wanna work with somebody else, a different Webflow developer after. We are building this site so anybody can go into it, understand what's going on and start to grow the site. So next week, we're going to be talking about that, and we are going to have some giveaways, uh, some freebies, some clonable giveouts for the people here watching for the client-first yep. system. 
And yeah. we are close to, oh, and we're close to launching it. This is the last round of beta. We've been using this internally for like six months now. We've iterated, we've iterated, and now we're going to beta it with all of our F and growth listeners. And it's dropping next week. So you better be here. Yeah. Um, and it will only be available for a, during the show. So we're literally going to make it clonable yeah. during the show. Um, or maybe we'll just even collect emails and we'll send you, we'll transfer the projects or I don't know how we're going to do this, but yeah. we're literally yeah, only going to make it yeah. limited release. What we're looking for is now more live feedback from people using it in the wild. And so we're going to do limited release for all of the people watching. And then we'll do a formal release, you know, a few months, maybe a month or two down the road once we get all the feedback or a couple weeks down the road or whatever. Um, the other thing, let's see, Rohan just reminded me here, we're looking for somebody to help with content and production, post-production work on this podcast, show notes and just different things. And so like, if anybody out there is watching and taking diligent notes and you're kind of already like studying and breaking this stuff down or kind of whatever, we'd love to chat with you. We're looking for someone to kind of help with the um, pre and post-production work. Uh, we won't go through the full job description, but if you're interested there, reach out to communications at finsuite.com. Rohan, can you share that um, email in the chat so people can reach out on that? But yeah, if you're looking, uh, that would be great. Let's see. Um, anything else we need to chat about? Wow. Look how far over time we are. That's great. I, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Hey. We have all these questions. People are, you know, we could do three, ep we could do three episodes of this topic. Yeah. Yeah, I think the pricing stuff is one of those things that you can never talk too much about. If you're like, if you're early in your yeah. career and you have questions about this, there's just not good places to find this stuff that you don't have to pay somebody a bunch of money to take their course for them to tell you exactly what we just broke through, broke down in an episode, you know? And so like, yeah, um, let's see, this is better than an Apple t-shirt. There you go, Peter. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Props for FinSuite. Are there filter tutorial on Clubbus sites? Helped me a lot. Yep. Glad you guys found that useful. Nice. Let's see. Great. A share a statement of work. Okay. Brian M is asking, can we share a statement of work so we can see the format? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, not right now. But you should know that it's incredibly simple. It's. Yeah bullet it's bullet points with topics seo bullet of what's included what's not copywriting bullet what's included what's not design what pages are included what's not it's just it's a person-to-person -person explanation of what we talked about previously on the phone just bullet points nothing fancy so yeah that that's that's what it is maybe we'll create a sample one and share it out but uh, we obviously can't do that right now yeah um, Jalen charge for copywriting. Yeah. No, we don't. We absolutely will not engage in copywriting. That is not a service we offer for a number of reasons. Yep. Um, Ariel, do you ever accept payment and something else other than money, like service or something like that? Um, no, no, I do not recommend that. Yeah, that's that's one of the red flags for people that are trying to be cheap or possible red flag. It could be honest, but usually it's a, hey, I don't want to pay any money. How can I get free stuff from you without paying money? So, yeah, I uh, that that's an auto no. Yeah, um, I agree. Like a lot of times, if they're not willing to put up the money to do the deal, 
there are some instances, especially early on in your career, where barter might make sense, right? Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't consider barter. It might make sense starting out. You want to like do a thing with somebody, sure. Uh, but if you're looking to scale your business, you should be looking to grow revenue based on website design. And to grow revenue, people need to pay you money. And so that's kind of it by definition. Um, let's see. Anything else? I think that's probably good. <laughs> pay me in Bitcoin. Okay, well, that's still money technically, right? <laughs> so you could, yeah, for sure. If you want to accept Bitcoin, I had some clients that were paying me in Bitcoin for a while. Um, they had a huge mining operation and it was easy for them to do. I had no problem taking payment in Bitcoin. Um, it just, again, it depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, this will be the last one, I think, here. Any update on the JS Webflow course? Yeah, I just responded there. Okay. We we have a lot of content for a JavaScript course. It's complete, and we are going to start filming very soon. And then we're going to produce the videos, and then we're going to release it for you. Timeline, I do not know. Yep. Uh, Quentin, you're awesome. We appreciate you. Again, thanks for hanging out with us uh, today. Why doesn't FinSuite have a Discord with voice chat? That's a good question. I think we're exploring different channels that we can play inside of. So stay tuned for some more updates on that, as well as other episodes and things like this. So I think with that in mind, um, I think that's it. I think we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. This is another successful episode. Uh, ending the show with 74 concurrent viewers and traction. 360 wow. total playbacks. 17-minute average watch time. Guys, this has been amazing. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of fun doing these live streams. We appreciate you all hanging out with us today. I wish we could, um, you know, get one-on-one -on -one and connect with you all. We're, uh, actually, maybe this is what we should do. Joe, what do you think about after the shows or before the shows? Getting together in that little co-work space and having, like, little hangouts. You know, like little... Yeah. Like, maybe this, some That's of this Q&A stuff happens, like, one-on-one. -on -one. So, yeah, leave a thought um, yeah, in can... the comment. Leave a comment for us if you would like to see that. If you would like us to have like hangout sessions afterwards where we can get more intimate, more one-on-one, -on -one, break off into small groups, et cetera, that might be fun. So, um, okay, nice. that's all. Uh, Marcos, the template is not available yet. That'll be available next week. You got to tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat yep. channel. Um, okay, vote for the next show on the website, growth.finsuite.com. We will see you all next week. Adios. Oh, play play the outro. Damn it. Oh, oh you were so close. <laughs> <laughs>